Hi, I'm Carla with Race to Walk, and this is just a few thoughts on a Sunday, and I hope you've been having a great weekend. Um, so the title of the stream um, is The Real Horror, and I was thinking, about what am I going to talk about this week? And you know, some people, um, you know, they look at like the horror genre. A second, I'm trying to get this so I'm not like so a little more centered, but some people look at like horror stories and they think that like super scary, usually horror has to do with like demonic um, manifestations and that's pretty much the defining feature of it. But honestly, I think the real horror story is when um, those, uh, there's demonic interference and you don't recognize what it actually is. And, um, it's kind of funny that, you know, Christians, just by the profession of our faith, we should be supernaturalists. But really, I think sometimes we are more, um, we act more like we're naturalists than a lot of people who aren't believers, who don't confess Jesus as Lord. Um, there is, you know, the, the testimony of the Bible and what our um, belief sh should be, or that it is, if we're claiming to be Christians, is that what we see is not all that there is, and that there is an entire spiritual war a world that is um, interacting with us, and that that is really um, part of the story, is that this unseen world is at war with the um, the great I am, right? That's the whole, really what the whole testimony of the Old Testament is, is that these war between these, these unseen, this unseen world, this principality between um, them and God and, and human beings is playing out in this realm, right? And human, God's saying he has, that's the, the, um, was talking about the uh, the nations were apportioned to the sons of God, the Beni Elohim, as these principalities over these different areas. And God just chooses one person, one man, Abraham. And the story is how through this one man that there is going to be, God is going to have victory over all the nations. All the nations are going to come to him. So it's this cosmic battle that's playing out here and human being, you know, and we as human beings are made part of God's great plan. And Paul talks about this in Ephesians that God is showing His supremacy to these unseen powers through us, and um, that is the story. But we don't always um, recognize that, or sometimes when we do, we get a little uh, uh, loopy about it. We get go a little bit become unbalanced and we focus only on that but uh last week i think i shared about that the the um the girl that came in for healing and that i could uh, to when i came to the healing room i was at the healing room and i could tell I, I saw something that there was something there but i didn't say anything about it and there was some restriction against her healing there was some barrier and the lady that i was with at the time said you know, you should have said something, we could have taken care of it because that is the, um, that is also part of the victory of the cross that through Christ, that we, he, we've been given all authority and that he's won the victory through his blood and sacrifice at the cross, right? He's made atonement for us that that is the, um, that is the authority that we have. And when we don't realize that, that, um, what is really at play, then we can't we can't solve the problem. And this week we were um, in our Afghan Bible study. We were we've been talking a lot about Easter, and I've been trying to um, tie it into. I've been trying to explain how Passover and the Exodus it was a foreshadowing of Jesus's first coming, and. I, I personally have always thought that that's pretty obvious when you read the Bible, especially the, the New Testament. You know, he's, he's there's references to um, to the Passover celebration all throughout the Gospels. 
Um, Jesus is identified as the first fruits. Um, he's identified as our Passover offering. I mean, it's a very clear connection, but it's just weird to me how many Christians aren't aware of that. <laughs> it's kind of weird. So I've been trying to explain that, and I, I can't even remember now. I guess I should have. I do I have been recording the um, the Bible Bible study meetings that we've been doing on Mondays now. Uh, we changed a little bit when Mark was doing it. He was doing a Monday and Friday meeting, and the Monday meeting was at a house church. And so um, I just recently have been kind of restructuring my time a little bit and just saying, okay, we're going to, I'm only going to do Monday. Everybody's going to be invited. Um, it's going to be recorded. And so people can participate based on that. So um, usually when they participate, the cameras are off and, you know, I, I understand that it's totally fine. You have, they have to, they're in a dangerous situation. They have to be very careful. So, you know, I just like, this is what I'm doing and they can participate and how they feel comfortable based on that. Sometimes they show on the camera, not always, but anyway. So we were talking about, um, I can't remember how I brought this up, but, oh, I think, now I don't remember. We were talking about, um, in Daniel, there's, he's praying, Daniel's praying to God and he's, I think this starts in Daniel chapter seven. He's been taken into captivity and, uh, you know, has been in captivity in Babylon for years. And he said, he was reading the words of the uh, prophet Jeremiah. And he saw that, that Jeremiah's prophecy was that they would be in exile for 70 years. And Daniel realized that the, the time of exile was coming to the close. And so he's praying. He has a prayer and he's confessing the sins of his people. And recognizing that, you know, they have done the wrong, that God was right in allowing this judgment to fall on them. And that he said, God, do not, um, do not delay, you know, for the honor of your own, own name, don't delay and perform the word that you've spoken. So the prophecy is there, right? This word is spoken, but it's really this activated by this repentance and this plea for justice and mercy. And then... As soon as he prays, he's this uh, he, angel appears to him, and he's given this word, this this uh, it, which is actually ends up being the timeline to the Messiah. And I think that this is really cool. Um, I just thought of this as I was talking. Um, a lot of times, the prophets are given words, but they don't see the whole picture, right? They they don't really know how it fits. Like Isaiah, I don't think he knew. Like when he was giving the prophecy of the virgin bear child, he was probably just thinking it was that the person that he was speaking to, there was, you know, it was probably a woman that was there and he was looking at the immediate prophecy, probably had no idea how the, um, how the larger fulfillment of that prophecy would be fulfilled. Right. But Daniel is, is really given a special grace in that, He's saying that when the angel is telling him this will happen, right? I don't think Daniel ended up returning to his, his own land, but the angel is telling him this isn't the whole thing yet. This is not the whole thing yet. The, the Jews did return, but this expectation of the, the coming of the Messiah, that wasn't, that wasn't near yet. And so the angel, in giving him this timeline of the Messiah, he's also letting Daniel know that this, this big hope, the big thing that he's hoping for, it's not just a return, but the coming of the Messiah, that that's not yet. That's not going to come yet. And that's what Daniel is getting when he's getting this timeline. And I don't think we covered this on Sunday, but, you know, that was why, um, when Jesus came, there was this, there was a lot of expectation about the Messiah, that there were, there were many people that were claiming to be the Messiah. And they had this expectation because of Daniel's prophecies, because everything was so specific that they had seen that his prophecies were um, prophesying the rise and fall of nations. Like, you know, they had the, the Babylonians and then the Assyrians and the, then the, uh, 
or the Medes and the Persians, not the Assyrians, but the Babylonians, the Persian Medes, Persians, and then you know the Greeks, and and then the Romans. There, he had a very clear prophecy of that, right? And so they're going along, and they saw what happened. His Daniel's prophecies had proven to be true, and so they knew they had this expectation. And I, it's like I, I've talked about this a little bit before that the um, the wise men from the east, east the Magi, were were Parthians, and Afghanistan was part of the Parthian Empire, and so they had respect for Daniel too, and they were kind of like um, you know the shepherds on the the field in the, out in the field tending their flock. They were invited to come and witness the birth of Jesus, right? The wise men weren't. They were they were like party crashers, but they they had this respect for for Daniel and they knew they knew God through Daniel. They had they had seen the witness of his life, right? And so there was this respect for Daniel and the God of um, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so they brought gifts to Jesus and it was because of the gifts that they brought that, that Mary and Joseph had the financial ability to escape from Herod uh, when he was going to murder the, all the young children. And so when they escaped to Egypt, that's how they had the funds to do that. So they were they were refugees for a little while until um, until Herod, the, after Herod the Great died, then they moved to a different location because one of his it was his Herod's was uh, kingdom was split up into four different sections, and so they moved to Nazareth, where it wasn't um, wouldn't it be as hostile to them for whatever reason. But um, it just uh, when you haven't been in a situation like that, it's really hard to understand that, right? It's hard to understand what it would be like to have no resources and no way out, and to have this this uh, synchronicity of events come about to bring you the provisions that you need to escape, to, you know, to escape certain death. And that's what happened. And this is really um, the Afghan story too. They've, um, it, it's just so unbelievably hostile for them. Unbelievably hostile. And just this morning, um, I saw an article, um, there's a few things, like, I'm not even sure how to explain how, um, bizarre this whole situation is. It's more than just, like, I know our immigration system is a mess. It's more than that. It's, I, it just, when I started looking at it, it, that's just what it felt like, um, and as I've been reading more about it, I I know that that was that's true. That it actually is true. I just this morning I saw a couple things. There was an article um, that was shared that uh, there were fourteen Afghan UN employees, and basically the UN is ghosting them, won't help them totally seen that. I think I've mentioned this before. We have people who have worked for a lot of different NGOs um, that they're getting no help. Like they're literally coming to the Bible study teachers asking for help for food and like medication because they literally have no help. And I would just say that like even if somebody, an NGO is not going to say, okay, we can't help you. Um, with immigration, you would think that they would at least help them, you know, have some food to eat, and they're not. So um, it's really unbelievable. Like, if, think about, like, just imagine what it would be like if basically the whole world went to hell here and things blew up and you had to leave for some reason. Number one, what would you do? Like, who would you? Who would you, if the only safe place was Australia, like how would you get there? Um, this has been, I've talked to my, my, my Jewish friend Leslie, the one that has helped 
she said that, you know, they always told them, make sure you have your passports. You know, always make sure you keep your passports current. And that, oh, man, let me tell you, that is wise advice. Because you think, oh, it couldn't happen here. Like, who knows? Who, literally, who knows what could happen? It's always good. The amount of trouble we we're having to get passports, it definitely, that's wise advice. But, you know, you would think that just the average person, you know, they're in this this situation. I mean, the people that, that we have, it's so surreal. I mean, there's these kids that, you know, that have no, just kind of no special connections and people who had um, connections with the Afghan government and NGOs, they're in the same position. They're in the same position. They don't have the, the amount of connections some of our people have, the things that they've done. Like you would think that they would have been on a flight out, you know, in the first few months or at least have somebody willing to help them because of the connections that they have. And it's just, they don't, I mean, it's really bizarre. It's like, I saw another article this morning about, um, this, uh, American immigration, I don't know, is it American immigration forum or what, but some organization did a whole, uh, they did freedom of information requests, got, um, emails from the, uh, U.S. Customs and Immigration Service, USCIS, about the time of um, when this was all going down in 2021. And um, they, so right now, I like guess as far as immigration for Afghans, and there's all this, these words about, uh, you know, oh, we're going to stand by allies, da, 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 all this stuff is complete baloney. It's not true. I have, I'll have to put links into the, um, into the description and in the article a little later, because I, I didn't have time to do screenshots of this, but they like in it just, even the SIV applications. So there's, there's basically two paths. There's a special immigration visa, which is specifically for people who like translators and people who worked with the military or on government projects. And so that's that's one path. Um, and with that, they have to, let me go back. Let's see. They have to have documentation of that, uh, documentation of the, the work that they performed. And then they go through this whole long process. And I mentioned um, that two of our families have SIV applications in, or are trying to get SIV applications in, but they have uh, IDS International won't give them, they're in my hall of shame, they won't give them their, um, their they have to have a recommendation letter from the company they actually did work for, work for it has to be the senior most uh, official to be e even able to start the process and they haven't gotten it but they also have humanitarian parole applications in so anyway so the u.s the siv applications go through the state department and it has to go through this com approval um chief admission they have to have a anyway and then they have the going into the u.s refugee program there's a humanitarian parole option um and that there's two different options but with both of them, like nobody can just come and apply for um, immigration, particularly for for the Afghan situation. And you would think that with all the words about, oh yeah, we're going to stand by our allies, um, that there would be more of an expediting of the process. Well, there's not. And the this in this this study, this research that they just did, and this Freedom of Information request, they have. They have emails saying this. In the very beginning, they were saying, okay, for the Afghan applications, basically put everything else on hold and, and focus solely on the Afghan app applications and expedite them. So do everything you can to get the Afghan, uh, Afghan applications done. And then just in September of 2021, the word came down is you put all of them on hold, put them on hold. So they weren't processing them at all. And that's what it's felt like. It's literally felt like that, that they put, that it's just like this wall up. And so um, that's the case. And there is a, there's, you'd think even like with SIV applications, those are super slow too. I mean, they, 
somebody, I heard somebody say that there's about a hundred being processed a month. I mean, that's even, that's even speeding up because there was one time period where they had, uh, I think it was the last three months of in three months. They did 114 S approved 114 SIV applications. It's like, they're looking for any reason they can to deny them. Um, and it's just, it's just bizarre. And I just, uh, Pakistan has shut down offering like, uh, proving visas for, um, Afghans coming into Pakistan. We have one person that got, that did get a one-year visa. I don't even know how, like after February 8th, I don't even know how that happened. It was like a literal act of God that he got that. But, um, there's this, I'm not sure if I mentioned this in one of the streams, but there's a, um, it's the special investigative something for Afghanistan. It's called SIGAR, uh, S-I-G-A-R. They've been doing reports on situation in Afghanistan. And there are, uh, in the Doha agreement, when Trump agreed to, or made an agreement with the Taliban, that's the thing. The Taliban were not in charge, if we, if we don't remember this. Um, there was an Afghan government. And so Trump made an agreement with the Taliban, with the terrorists, that they would withdraw, take out all the troops. And as Marcus said, like we've had troops in, you know, in Afghanistan since before, you know, before the Soviets were there. He said, I was on a Marine base in the 1950s in Kabul, you know? So we've had troops in, in Afghanistan for a very long time. Um, but Trump made an agreement to pull out all American troops from Afghanistan and released um, 5,000 terrorists that were in jail. And we have a judge that we've been trying to get a visa for um, that was one of the people that convicted those terrorists that are now running the country. And so he's in hiding, if, you know, for his life. And so anyway, but then even on top of that, there's these um, secret documents they call them secret annexes, that even the investigative uh, committee, the people in charge of overseeing what's going on, they don't have access to this document. So there's a secret agreement between the U.S. and the Taliban. So who knows what's in that? And there's an article in the Washington Post that said that when the U.S. was withdrawing, that the Taliban was going around and telling people that they have had a secret agreement with the U.S. that they would give them these certain territories. So we, I mean, we, we just straight up, I mean, all these words about, you know, oh, well, it was just the Afghan government. They couldn't, they couldn't hold, hold the country. You know, it's, it's their fault. No, it's our fault. Like we, when we hand it over to the Taliban, who are you going to blame? It, it's just ridiculous. But it also makes me wonder if they, if part of those agreements were, agreeing not to let people leave because that's what it feels like. And in one of the, in Biden's remarks, he said, oh, you know, we, we will continue to stand by our allies and we let free travel for anybody from um, Afghanistan, our allies, or anybody who wants to leave. I'll, I'll send us, I'll put a link in that, that, that we're going to, this is when they pulled out. This is what they promised as a complete and total lie. That's not what happened. And it's not, it, that's not what happened. I mean, Pakistan just in the past few months has gotten like $326 billion to help rebuild from an international aid to help rebuild from the flooding last year. So don't tell me that there couldn't be some, some uh, input about how the Afghans are being treated in Pakistan. And the fact that they've just straight up shut down um, any visas for Afghans makes me think, not only is there not pressure about um, helping Afghans, you know, for Pakistan, but maybe it's because of international effort that they are being shut out from escaping the country. Because that's literally, I think I shared this last week, this, that's literally what Denmark says. Well, their excuse for not helping Afghans is that, oh, well, you know, the Taliban aren't issuing passports 
and the Pakistan isn't giving visas to Afghans. So we can't help you. We can't help you. I know it's really tough. You can't get here. We have people in Pakistan or, that you could that could be helped. So anyway, my point is going back to this. It's like you have to know what the real problem is. And there's all this deflection in like, oh, it's not this. Like there was this this guy who supposed to be some big league in evacuation circles. He was putting the blame on foreign countries that they couldn't process the visas. It's a bunch of baloney. It's not the fault of foreign countries that out of the only you know, like minuscule amount of applications have been approved. I, uh, I don't think I have it up here, but one of the articles that I read out of, um, I think it was the fiscal year 2021 to 2022, 8,000 humanitarian parole visas had been processed. Only 132 had been approved. Most of them were just straight out denied. You can't put that on foreign governments. That is the United States Customs and Immigration Service and the U.S. State Department. I mean, they're just trying to like, oh, it's not us. Yeah, it is you. Yeah, it is you. You know, you could be doing you could be doing different things. If, uh, like I said, at one of the somebody said there's like one to two hundred hundred SIV applications being processed a month. We should be processing 10,000 applications a, a month at least, at least. We used to take, at Ellis Island, we took 5,000 immigrants in, in a day, one single day at Ellis Island. We can do better than what we're doing. It's not a can't, it's a won't. But um, going back to the title of the stream, it's like the real horror. The real horror is thinking that... Um, not knowing what the real problem is. I mean, you have to know what the problem is to be able to fix it. And if you don't know what the actual problem is, what the actual stick is, then you can't do anything about it. And all this misdirection is basically keeping the problem in place. And it's also discouraging because you think, okay, if you do X, Y, and Z, that you'll get a certain result. And realize that that's not even, that's just, it's just a game. It's just like, oh, we're just going to, it's not the truth. We're just putting up this front so we can look like we're doing something, but you're really, it's this, this really isn't going to work. So anyway, um, I don't know. I just read that this morning. And so it's, it's kind of has me riled up a little bit. And besides that, it was, uh, what was it yesterday? I don't know. I'm losing track of time. So what was yesterday? Oh, yesterday I got, um, I need to start getting my, getting more organized about the resources I have or that I've found in, um, because I, one of our contacts that's been helping us with things in Pakistan, um, asked for help for a family, um, that's now in California that, um, they went from the whole Brazil to U.S. thing and they, uh, they need help. And so I need to be better about getting my resources together so I can know like where help actually is. And then someone else in our group, um, a friend of a friend told him that he could he could get him to Brazil for eight thousand dollars, and I was like, "That's not okay." First of all, um, it's, Brazil is like the only country that has semi-open doors. I've heard that it's gotten a little more restrictive recently, but um, I don't. You shouldn't have to pay for a visa <laughs> to Brazil. You shouldn't have to pay for visas anyway. There, I mean, there's application fees, but uh, and actually, out of all those visas that were denied. They, the U.S. has collected $19 million in, in visa application fees from Afghans. But um, as far as Brazil, I shouldn't be paying that for um, to get a visa to Brazil. And I know what flights are, and they are not $8,000 from Islamabad to Brazil. And I'm like, no. And then he's like, oh, for another $5,000, he can sponsor him in the U.S. I'm like, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not how it works. But it's like all of this 
there's so many scammers. There's so many scammers and it's such a desperate situation. And it's like cannibals. I mean, forget demonic interference. I mean, humans can be pretty, pretty darn disgusting too. I mean, everybody's looking for a way to exploit situations. And it, it really made me angry when he was telling me this because it's like, I'm sitting here looking at ways to like looking at like fundraisers for like spirit nights. And I think we're going to be selling popcorn to help raise money for them. So, you know, they can eat and we can get passports for people. And then these jackasses are coming in and like, Oh yeah, here, here, here's a way out. Like, Hey, get, you know, find $13,000 and we'll get you here. It's like, you know what? I've never, I've never like laid hands on anybody in my life, but I don't know. That might tempt me if they were in front of me because I, people that take advantage of situations like that are just infuriating. But then I'm thinking, you know what? Most people are like that. You know, like the whole thing with, uh, you know, they, they, if they can take and get, they do. And there's just like no recourse no recourse for it. I mean, a lot of times there's not, I mean, I saw some, some uh, discussion this last week on Twitter about, you know, how hell is bad. I'm thinking, you know what, for me personally, knowing that there is a hell and that in the end, no one gets away with anything. That is actually a comfort to me because one way or the other, I mean, justice will come. There will be justice. And so some of these people, I mean, what this this guy claiming he can get them to the U.S. is doing is no different than like, you know, Jerry Jones and all the energy companies that are literally like, you know, we had our um, our freeze and they completely price gouged us for, you know, energy. I mean, it's Texas, same difference. It's Texas is so corrupt and, you know, people who have money get away with it. And I mean, if they could charge us for air, they would. I mean, that's just how just immoral and corrupt and people are. It's like, if we can take from you and get away with it, we will. And so it's the same difference. It's just like for the Afghans, they have nobody nobody stand for them. They have their country is there's no justice system. They, they're, uh, people running their country want them dead. Uh, Pakistan is uh, like just being really horrific. And we just stand and act like we want to act like we're heroes and we're just We're not doing what we should be doing right now. Anyway, I'm just kind of tired. I'm all over the place. That's why. Oh, yeah. The other thing that happened yesterday. <laughs> I, I was about a month ago. I think I shared that it was this guy that was claiming to be a Christian, is asking for help, and um, really persistent about it. And I had explained I am just facilitating uh, people we give help to or people that are referred in by other people in our group. And, um, you know, we have to, uh, you know, we have people donating and, you know, there's certain guidelines and I'm not, not sending money to people personally. And uh, this, he had sent me, It's, it's contacted me on Twitter, and he also sent me an email on my website. And when he did that, he sent me um, his passport and all his documentation. And so I had one of our people check out the information. And um, turns out he's not a Christian. I'm mean, very obviously not a Christian because the one of our people is from where this guy says he's from. And so anyway. Um, I had just blocked him and I wasn't responding anymore because I was like, you know, I've already, I've given you, I've given you the information that um, I have that might be able to help you that I can. And that, that's just all there is to it. And I had 
whether he was actually a Christian or not wouldn't have changed my answer. I just wanted to like confirm that. And so then I get an email yesterday where he's basically uh, cussing me out for not help for not responding to him and helping and helping him. And I, this was right after just a few hours, I had had this conversation with one of our people about the guy that's the scammer that is promising them, you know, they can get them into the U.S. And so I was kind of done with scammers. And I was like, you know, I, I know that you're not. Um, I had somebody investigate your story and I know that it's not true. And so I'm going to send your information to the person that's sending out information to evacuation uh, allies to, and like a whole list of agencies. And, uh, you know, so people will know that you are, they're a scammer, that your story is a lie. And um, it's just the, I think part of it is just the misogyny, like the, some of the things he was saying is the misogyny is just baked into Islam, but it's like, you know, you think you can do whatever you want. There's no recourse. And do I have time to cause trouble for him or, you know, uh, make sure, do what I can to make sure he doesn't continue to scam people? I don't really have time for it, but I'm just at this point, I'm like, you know what? I will take the time. I will make the time. Um, I'm going to send the emails to these agencies and I can't ensure that they'll do anything with it, but at least I will, I will have said, sent the information. So, you know, there's, um, for anybody that sends money overseas, the U S treasury has a database that you're supposed to check every, the person's name in. So anytime we've sent money, like I always look and do a search for the person's name and make sure they're not on the ban list. And so, I mean, they think they can do whatever they want and you know, there's no recourse, but least I can do is get the information out there. So anyway, so that was this week. So it hasn't been all bad, but it may sound like it. I think I'm just tired. I think that's what it is. But it's been, other than that, it's been kind of a quiet week because, uh, but what we have been doing is been getting some of the things going for some of the people um, in our groups. Um, Afghanistan did open their passport office recently. And so we do have a contact that's supposed to be helping with that. But it's like this whole thing, like each province only has a certain number of passports that they'll issue in a month. And our contact wasn't quite sure, like, um, how long it was going to take or, you know, there's, I think that I can't remember if the actual passport fees are 55 or $65 in the stated price, you know, in Afghanistan, he's like, I'm not sure. He wasn't sure how much it was actually going to take yet. So passports from Afghanistan are supposedly maybe, maybe a possibility, but they've been, um, shut down for months. And so, you know, it's not, I'm not, we're really not quite sure when those are going to like actually get, actually getting them in hand. We're not quite sure when that's going to be, but there is another option for embassy passports. The thing is, they're not, so the passports from Afghanistan are biometric. Passports from the embassy are not, but uh, you cannot, you can do a border crossing um, into and out of Afghanistan with a non-biometric passport, but you can't uh, fly out of the airport. Uh, you can't fly out of Afghanistan with them, but people have immigrated with them. Um, I also found out for some um from our person that does, has done the interviews with, um, or done interpreting for the interviews for um, uh, some visa applications like with Spain and UNHCR that uh, Spain will give like people that are coming in on a humanitarian visa uh, one-time travel documents. They don't actually have to have passports, which is awesome, but not all countries are like that. So our plan is just to get passports as we can for people. Um, but we are, this is the thing. There's like, there actually are embassy passports, but then there's also a lot of scammers out there. So we are starting with one passport, um, just to check, to make sure that our contact that we have is actually giving me a passport. So anyway, that's where we're starting and 
getting some documentations together. And the other thing that we are going to be doing is I mentioned that um, that person that's been doing the interviewing, he is um, he also helped prep documents for people, like get their make sure they had all their documentation together so they can present a strong case uh, for asylum when they go into either UNHCR or any of the, the countries, um, the embassies for the different countries where they want to immigrate. And so we are, uh, what we're having him do is start with families that are uh, going in for interviews. So we have the one of the wife of one of the head of the house church and then somebody, uh, oh, the free fight girl. <laughs> one that we were getting a visa for, uh, she's actually in Pakistan now. So she needs to make an application with, hey, Joy. Um, she needs to make an application with um, UNHCR. So he said that if he can work with them in the beginning, um, that, that they can make, they can make a strong case, right? But if they've already submitted their case, to UNCR had interviews, there's only so much she can do. But um, I've told him that we are, would like him to work with our families as they go. And so he actually has, you know, he does translation services and he has English classes that he teaches. So it's not like he has a huge amount of time in his schedule. So he's gonna be working on one to two families a week and helping them get ready um, and so that's one of the things that we're going to be working on because I was just realized this week, cause I'm like, you know, impatient because I want to get them, you know, I want to get them into these interviews and go, but if they get to these in interviews and they're not prepared, then, um, they're born, they're born that opportunity. So, uh, this is, I guess this pause was good. Um, his meal was actually, well, yeah. So our guy was actually in, um, he's in Afghanistan just recently got back. So he wasn't there to assist in this so um that we have this now and maybe it's you know it's a good thing that we have this pause that we can make sure that we are making the most out of these these interviews and applications um from the beginning so we don't blow our opportunities but so that's what we're working on i'm trying to remember if there's anything else i don't know i just uh i just scammers it's just i there's a another afghan advocate that is um has been kind of given me, he's, he's been involved since before the withdrawal, like helping SIB applicants kind of along in the process, just supporting them and kind of helping where he can. And he has some, um, some connections in different areas, very interesting connections in different areas. But, um, he was, he'll send me messages like, uh, like these accounts on Twitter, like these are actually Taliban, you know, infiltrators, you have to be cautious about this. And, uh, he's the one that connected me in with um, the uh, the person that's doing the Afghan online school and all of that. But he was, it's just, we were talking about this. This is part of what's exhausting. It's like, it's, the situation is overwhelming and um, as it is. But what makes it even more exhausting is just trying to sort through what is true and what isn't true. And so not only are all, there are all these scammers, you know, that you have like, is this a real story? How do you verify this? That's challenging. It can be exhausting. But even, even just to be honest with you, like sometimes um, our people, and I understand why they're cautious because they've been through a lot of betrayal. They do have to be cautious. You know, I'm this American who doesn't really have experience in this and I'm just trying to learn as I go. And so I'm, I'm just trying to be as careful as I can. And, but it's like, I, I, it's like, I just need to know the story. Like, it, it, what is the actual story? Like, what are we actually dealing with? Like, just be straight with me about, you know, if this letter is fake, then I just need to know this because we need to, we need to be operating with reality, with the truth, not fake information. And so sometimes even with that, it's kind of exhausting. I had, um, a discussion with one of our people this past week. Um, I've heard a little bit of his story and um, he has, uh, there's some uh, articles, some news articles about his story over actually, there's several of them um, starting in 2021. 
And I was reading those. I'm like, okay, so I'm not sure if some of the things that are in the stories are, uh, it has to do with the writing because the, the writing itself of the articles, at least one of them wasn't that good. And I knew that some of the information in the article was not right. It was not actual, it was not a fact. So I don't know if it was, had to do with the writing or if it was, uh, that his story had changed. So I told him you need to go through and look at those articles that are, are, uh, that have been written. And then you need to like, make sure that between those articles and what you're saying, that all the facts line up, because if they don't, that's going to be a red flag. And there were, there were questions that I had and I went down a list of things like, this doesn't make sense to me. You told me this, you told me this. And so if there are discrepancies between the two, you need to be able to explain that. And he's like, well, you know, so I'm like, okay, I'm fine. I'm just, I'm just telling you, this is, this is what we need to be working on. So anyway, I guess we're in prep, prep mode, but I do feel like there's going to be some movement. I, maybe I'm, I don't know. I just feel like there is, um, all the uh, investigations and reports and stories. And I, I really feel like we're going to start getting some movement on things. I don't know. That's what I'm praying for. But um, anyway, I, I don't know. This has been kind of all over the place. But just as a reminder, um, I'm just going to go here. Uh, what we are working on is, um, oh, I haven't talked about this. So they haven't actually, oh, that's not right. That's IDS. Uh, where is it? Okay. So they have not posted recently, but they were posting, uh, publishing a new podcast every week. They've kind of slowed down recently, but the Afghanistan Project podcast, if you want to kind of get an inside story about what's going on and the different efforts that are going on, um, they have, that's a good way to get an overview of, you know, the severity of it and just kind of the grassroots on the ground types of things that are going on. And then if you want to um, help like individuals in, um, in Afghanistan, you can go to the SEAL app, um, you can download, you can buy things. They have some really cool jewelry. You can also send food to, um, and different other types of care packages to a SEAL through, um, two people in Afghanistan through a seal. So I haven't mentioned that one in a couple of weeks, but that's a good option. But I'll just say that um, they need a lot of help. It's a serious situation and they do need a lot of help. It's just that, um, you know, the need is real. Not all stories are, and you can verify information. Um, and I think that it's important not to encourage people who are scamming and rewarding that behavior. So um, it's hard to make a call on it because, you know, the, the need is so widespread and it's difficult, but um, I don't think it's helpful to help people that are exploiting the situation. So anyway, but a final thing is, uh, this is what we are working on for um, our people. Uh, we're going to be working on putting together um, sponsor groups for for them. And when Welcome Corps, Welcome Corps is actually in place right now. And so individual groups can, of five individuals or organizations can sponsor uh, refugee families and they will help them once they get here they will help them for 90 days just kind of get acclimated they go pick them up at the airport they help them get settled you know show them where to go um, there has to be one team lead for um, each welcome group and um, then they uh it's basically a 90 day commitment, helping them get acclimated. It's not 90 days on your own, helping them get acclimated. There's also going to be a local uh, refugee 
um, resettlement agency um, here in Houston. I know the Interfaith Ministries is one of them. Also, Houston Welcomes Refugees is probably another. I don't know who all they use, but there's several here in Houston. But you have a, um, a local agency that does help with that. So it's not like you have to try to figure things out on your own. And on that website, if you go to it, welcomecore.org, it lines out the sponsor side of it very, very specifically. They give a lot of details. Um, it's really well laid out. So uh, the sponsor group is um, raises uh, $2,375 per person in the family. And that goes to them to help them like, or towards what they need, like deposits for, um, deposits for an apartment or they, they will get funds in, in and support in the refugee system, but it takes a little bit to get that going. So this is just kind of like the initial, when they get here, they get a little bit of help before they're into that uh, user app program so that they are in that program for a year. And then after that, they get a, uh, they can get a green card. And then after five years they can get a, um, uh, they can apply for citizenship. So this plan I think is actually better than the other two options that are out there right now. So like the SIV applications and the humanitarian parole applications that just gets them, gives them a visa to get here. And then once they do get here, they have to um, apply for asylum. And our asylum system is super backed up. This is immigration court asylum applications huge backlog. Backlog right now is like 10 years. So for, this is what I've been trying to explain to our, our, our people, you know, there, it's so bad in Pakistan. It's just, it's really hard for, you know, and they've, this is 2021 when the U.S. pulled out and this is, we're in 2023 now. So I know it's hard to say, be patient, you know, we're working this, but in the second phase of Welcome Corps, which hopefully is going to be open in a few months, individuals, we can nominate them into the program and hopefully that will move it a little faster. But for the SIV, the people who got evacuated in August, 2021, what they're facing right now is um, their, those visas that they got to get here are, are expiring in August. And so there's, most of them haven't had their asylum approved yet because we have this huge backlog. And so in uh, Congress right now, there's a, a bill that's been sitting there called the Afghan Adjustment Act. And that is supposed to fix this. So, because the reality is that all those people that were evacuated, you know, all that drama, you know, with the evacuations in 2021 that everybody was so interested in, you know, for our <laughs> short attention span, um, they, they're gonna be facing depo deportation if they, if that's not passed. I mean, they'll be at risk for it. I mean, I hope we wouldn't actually do that. I mean, the fact that we've been denying all these other applications, I don't know why I have that hope, but I'm, I hope we would actually do that. But, um, you know, they're not, they're in a mess right now too. And hopefully uh, this, I'm really hoping Welcome Corps will be a, a cleaner path for them. So anyway, I've been telling them this, um, but we need sponsor groups together for them. And um so if you want to help put together a sponsor group or uh, something, then just uh, send me a message at contact at raisedwalk.org. Oh, this is the other thing. This is what we're doing this week. So um, I think I mentioned last week, they are, obviously they know what Easter is and they know, um, but they haven't had any experience really at, with corporate worship. And so, because even when they were, in Afghanistan, before the Taliban took over, it was still, you know, dangerous to be a Christian. And um, they haven't had that public um, public experience, right, of observing Easter. So we are, we've been focusing on Easter for the, the past um, few weeks in the lessons in the Bible studies. And then on Wednesday, my church is starting um, on Wednesday a, a display. It's uh, Stations of the Cross in the Worship Center. And um, I've talked to 
talk to them to get them okay just because usually it's kind of quiet in there and I don't want to like be doing this and you know be disruptive but um, I'm going to have a zoom call with them um, and we're going to go through kind of do a virtual tour of the stations of the cross on Wednesday and I'm going to go then because the kids are there's going to be schools there so it's probably going to be noisier anyway so we're going to do that and then we are doing right now a um <laughs> I did this devotional for called an unexpected devotional. This is back in 2019. And the backstory of this is I was this is back when I was like we were just getting started with an unexpected journal and um I was reading about publishing on Amazon and everybody was saying that like, oh yeah, Kindle Unlimited is so is really awesome for new authors to get more a bigger audience and more exposure. But the, re the reality is, it turns out that it is for some genres, not the genre that we write in. But we could not, I didn't know that at the time, and we can't put any of the journals into Kindle Unlimited because we make it, it's available for free. So the requirement with Kindle Unlimited is that the content has to be exclusive to, to Amazon. And obviously it's not. So I wrote this devotional. It's a um, 10 day devotional, um, a reflection for Holy Week started, uh, which starts with the Sabbath yesterday, it's Lazarus Sunday. And I connected it with, for each devotional, there's a piece, a link to an article on an expected journal that I tie in for the reflection for that day. So we are doing that um, kind of as like a discussion group, book chat sort of thing. Um, I started... I'm hoping this, the way I'm understanding WhatsApp works, I, I'm hoping that this is right. So the, the issue with doing a book chat is that they, I know there's Discord, but I didn't want to have another app to, to monitor. So um, the issue is security, right? And so I have the groups that I, you know, of Christians, but there's several different groups. So I, and I also wanted, like, if other people wanted to participate, I wanted them to be able to do that. So I sent that to my newsletter. So I created a community and added the groups to it. And my understanding is that the community is that nobody can see, they can see the, the name, the groups that I've added to it, but they can't see the members or their contact information. And so I added those groups. I also created a separate group for the devotional. And I told them that if they join the devotional group, that other people, obviously other people will be able to see their name and contact information, or at least their phone number. I guess they don't know their name, but at least their phone number. But um, if they just want to, to follow along, I'll be sending the notice to the group so they'll see what it is, but they obviously can't. I mean, I guess they they could have a discussion in the, the original group, but that the other one is there if they wanted to do that. So anyway, so we're doing that right now too. So we started that yesterday, but anyway, um, obviously I don't think I'm going to do this next week um, since it's going to be Easter. So I hope everybody has a great Easter and um, Oh, okay. Send me a message on contact. This, this is a thing. I mean, I, I do have a channel on, on TikTok, but um, I haven't done it just because it's just one more thing to manage, you know, and having to convert them to vertical. Also, um, I have to check. I do know that um, TikTok has started allowing longer... Um, longer videos and live streams, but I don't think, since I don't have a lot of followers on TikTok, I don't think I have access to that yet. So if TikTok opens up the API so that I can stream there, I can do that because I'm just doing this on StreamYard. And um, so I could do that, but um, I'll have to look. I have to look. You're probably right, but I'll just have to look and see if I can do that. Because I only have so much bandwidth that I can manage, but anyway. Um, if you have any tips on that, you can send me a message to contact Maurice Walk and I'll look into it. But anyway, I hope you guys have a great Easter. Yeah.
I, I'm doing easy. This is the thing. Like right now, I'm streaming to Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitch on um, just on the stream. So if they have, they open it up, I can stream there. And I guess I could take part of my my videos and put it on TikTok. Some objections. So are you talking about this specifically for? Okay, just send me send me a message, like what you think I should answer. And maybe I'll do some specifically for TikTok because StreamYard actually has added something with some vertical videos, but I haven't even had time to do that. But yeah, send me a message. And maybe I'll do some things specifically for TikTok and, and see. But let me know. So, but that's a good idea. One more thing to do. But thanks for joining in. But I will. Uh, hope you guys have a great Easter. Um, and uh, if you haven't already made plans for service, I hope you do that. But um, I guess I will see you guys later.